Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. Here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. My name is Ryan Brown, and I'm a youth pastor here at the church. My name is Tammy McComber, and I work with the youth, and I'm also the Connections Director here at the church. Tammy does pretty much everything. In fact, Tammy did take over my my old job. I did, yes. Along with her job, kind of, as well. I did, yes. So, (laughs) I let Tammy take parking over right as we got into spring, which does seem a little unfair, but uh, she has to do with Easter, so no big deal. Well, no, thanks, you guys, for being here. Um, The reason these guys are here with us this week is because they just got back from Israel, and this message this week is about Israel. So we had Jim and Tammy and Ryan and Beth and a bunch of people from our church go to Israel as a group, and so I wanted to have them on because he really references quite a bit that trip to Israel. So I wanted to start just before we get into the message. What was your highlight in Israel? Tammy and I are looking at each other. It's hard. It's <laughs> it's really hard, Charlie, because there was like there was just so much. Ten days of nonstop, um, nonstop learning from from Jack. Um, but I think one of my highlights um, out of the many um, was Mount Arbel. So not only did we get to sit on top of Mount Arbel and and get this amazing view of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and a lot of the, the towns that Jesus went to and did ministry at, but that's, that's the location where Jesus would have given the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jack got to um, read the Sermon on the Mount to us and teach, um, teach from it while we're sitting on Mount Arbel. And then we got to hike down it, which was just super cool. So that was, that was definitely one of my highlights. You know, when uh, Jim was talking about kind of how strenuous the trip was, and then Ryan over here who long distance runs was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. You know, so maybe for other people on the trip, the hiking down Mar- Arbel was not as much of a highlight. But Tammy, what was your highlight? Um, I I truly did love Mount Arbel too. It was, you couldn't have gotten more pic- picturesque, picturesque than it was. Um, we literally had wildflowers surrounding us, butterflies flying through the air all around us. Like seriously, it was just so yeah, amazing to be able to see. It was so amazing. Mm-hmm. I really did love that day. There are so many different things, but I think the moment that kind of stands out to me the most was when we were sitting on the southern steps of the temple. And I was sitting there, and and as we were listening to Jack teach, he was explaining all the things that had been happening around us. And from those southern steps, you could see... Um, Mount Zion, where where they have this church where the people um, the disciples had the Last Supper, and and then you can see this other church where they have marked where uh, Peter ran after he had denied Christ, and you can see the Mount of Olives, and you can see the Garden of Gethsemane, all sitting there on these temple steps, and the proximity of all of it, how close it all was to each other, was just I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be able to be able to sit there and see all of that Passion Week be able to kind of play out in my mind right before me. It was really cool. That's awesome. Well, we're going to listen to the message now, Pastor Jim really sharing kind of how our understanding of the Judean hillside can really change our understanding of two scriptures, one in Isaiah and then one in the New Testament as well. So we're going to give that a listen, and then we'll get back together and talk about it after. It's been a great day in the Lord. We, uh, we got back about, oh, yesterday late afternoon, and uh, we uh, are still in a sort of a stage of recovery, you might say, after traveling about 30 hours. 
um, across the world, but uh, we are so grateful to be back, and if you're listening online, we're grateful that you're listening in with us this morning. Um, we, uh, I, I just have to say, though, that this is not only just hours since we, we got home, but as I've said in the first two services, I'm asking for uh, like a covering of grace and forgiveness for anything that might happen in this service. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm doing my best, but I do believe the Lord has, uh, has carried me through. I thought, I thought about uh, completing the series on Corinth, but, you know, it's sort of like when you get back uh, after summer vacation, you, the first day, you, you don't really do much. You just sort of spend time talking about how I spent my summer vacation. So let me, let me take you on a little trip, if I could, this morning. Uh, I want to take you to a place that I, I wouldn't call it's my favorite. I, I don't know that I could ever say where my favorite place is. Throughout the last two weeks, people have asked me, so is this your favorite place? And I'm like, well, it's pretty up, up there, pretty high up there. But I don't know that I could actually say this is my favorite place. But we travel to so many places, but this is one that we take groups back to time and time again. And if you've ever been on a trip with us, you know what it is. If you haven't, let me introduce it introduce you to it. It's a place called Satoff. Satoff is, if you can imagine, the Judean hillsides surrounding Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is, is, is in the southern part of Israel, the southern kingdom, um, when Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Now, Jerusalem is, is, a, is a city that is protected by deep valleys around its gates. So in order, if you were going to attack it as a, as a foreign entity, you needed to know that you attack Jerusalem from the north because if you come from the east or you come from the west or you come from the south, you have a series of mountains that are high and valleys that are deep and V-cut. So it, where is your troops out? You can't do it. So when you imagine the Judean hillsides surrounding Jerusalem, imagine deep-cut uh, uh, hillsides and valleys, okay? That's where I want to take you this morning. This is Sataf. In fact, if you look at this, it's a beautiful area, lush with, uh, uh, Israel is experiencing 120% normal rainfall this year. So you're, you're seeing uh, a beautiful illustration here of what that area looks like. Now, as the video comes to an end, you'll be looking at the horizon and that horizon line is the city of Jerusalem. So you can see that in order to get to Jerusalem, going up these hills and down into these valleys would be very, very difficult. So in foreign days, uh, that's what people knew. They had to come from the north. So these mountains actually kind of create a, a protection around Jerusalem. But these hillsides, this, this beautiful area, is also uh, a place where the Judeans uh, could grow amazing crops. Now, these hillsides were there in place when Cana occupied the land. And when the Israelites came in to possess the land that God had promised Abraham, they took over these areas. Some of these rock walls would have been in place. Some of them are new. But some of those rock walls will date back 3,500 to 4,000 years. And on these terraces, these terraced gardens, families would build homes. And they would, they would, they would uh, cultivate this, this uh, soil, this, the, the soil that came from this area, and they would grow amazing crops. They would grow things like almond trees and, and, and olive trees and grape, uh, grape vines and fig trees and, and things like that. And so this is the area that was both blessed but also 
given to people who were pretty tough people. You see, these deep, deep valleys, the soil would erode over time and go into the, the valley. That's why you had kids. When they got old enough, you hand them a sack and say, go get that soil. And they bring it home and we put it in these gardens. But in order to keep that soil there, you had to build those walls. But you see, every year the rains would come down and, and, the, and the pressure of the rain would push out those walls. So the job of the farmer was not just to clear the rocks from the soil. It wasn't just to, to till the soil. It was also to keep those rock walls in place so that the soil would not go back down to the valley. So if you can picture that, these are tough people that surround Jerusalem. Now, when God gave Israel the land, something happened. They went into Egypt for a time during a time of drought, and over a 400-year year period of time, they became slaves. God sent Moses to rescue them out of Egypt, and he brought them into a land. And he sent spies. Moses sent spies into the land to, to investigate what is this promised land that God has given us. We might know the story if you've heard it before, but the 12 uh, spies came back and they all talked about how wonderful the land is. But 10 of them said, it's too big, it's too much, we can't take it. These people are too big. But Joshua and Caleb said, certainly we can take it. God is with us, he's on our side. But the people believed the 10 and therefore they wandered or literally camped and waited in the wilderness for, 30, for, for 40 years. And so when the time came for them to cross over and take the land 40 years later, Joshua is now the leader, and he, they cross the Jordan River, and they take this land. But before they do, God says this to the people in Deuteronomy 11. Now, when you're in Egypt, and they'd spent 400 years there, you have to understand the difference between Egypt and, and, and Israel. In Egypt, the, the land is watered by the flooding of the Nile River. If you look at a map, you'll see that the, the floodwaters come in off the Nile and, and, and spread out. I've been on the uh, Nile River down in the around Cairo area, and they have what they call nilometers. A nilometer is an ancient way of figuring out taxes. Isn't it amazing? We've always been about taxes. Somebody always needs tax revenue. <laughs> but on these notches in the rocks, you, they would look at these notches, and depending on how high the water rose during flood stage, it would determine how far the waters would spread out. And as far as the water spread out, the government could count that that would then produce a crop at that line. So they would, you would pay your taxes based on how high the water went. And interestingly, when you're standing there looking at that land, and you look at the land that has been watered, it looks like anything could grow there. But when, you, when the water stops, it is nothing but sand and wilderness. It's remarkable. Literally a line in the sand. And so this is what they're used to. And they watered by irrigation. They would create, uh, with hose and things like that, they would create ditches and they would run the water down through there. But with their foot, they would, they would open up and let the water flow through. And with their foot, they would close those, uh, um, uh, um, what do you call those things again? Ditches, thank you. Yeah, I, I, you're, you've already forgiven me, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so this is what they're used to. Now they're about ready to come into a land that you've just begun to see here that is only watered by rain. There's no water flowing in here. There are no irrigation canals coming into this hillside. It is rain and rain alone. Totally different than what they're used to. And God says to them in Deuteronomy 11, therefore be careful. 
to obey every command I am giving you today. So you may have strength to go in and take over the land you're about to enter. If you obey, you will enjoy a long life in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors and to you, their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land you're about to enter and take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you planted your seed and made irrigation ditches with your foot, as in a vegetable garden. Rather, the land you will soon take over is a land of hills and valleys with plenty of rain, a land that the Lord your God cares for. He watches over it through each season of the year. If you carefully obey the commands I am giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul, then he will send the rains in their proper seasons, the early and late rains, so you can bring in your harvests of grain, new wine, and olive oil. He will give you lush pasture land for your livestock, and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. Hmm. If you obey. The prayer of the Israelite today, the Israeli today, the Israelite of ancient times, was called the Shema. The Shema is a combination of verses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But it begins with this, Shema Israel Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is alone. There's only one God. When you enter the land, remember this, there's only one God. Why? Because the land is filled with God's. And if those Canaanites decide to take you on, trust me, they're not going to live. But if they decide to join with you, they're also going to tell you about their gods. Don't believe it. When you enter into the culture, when you enter into the land, do not be shaped by that culture. That's why the scripture tells us even in the New Testament, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the culture shape you. You shape it. The culture then, the culture now begs us to bow down to its gods. But don't do it, God said. In fact, one of those one of those prophets or one of those gods that they're gonna tell you about is, is Baal because he's the rain god. And they're gonna say, this is how you control Baal so that you get rain. And that's why God says as you enter the land, just let me let me remind you, I make it rain. Not Baal. And I would love to tell you that, in fact, they did do do just that. But no, they didn't. They went the way of Baal. You can read about it in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Elijah taking on the prophets of Baal. You can read all about that. But the fact of the matter is God warned them, you're going to come into a land where you need rain. And I will give you rain. But I'm asking that you obey me and love me alone. Do not be sucked into the culture. And all of the gods they tell you you need to bow down to, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a beautiful place. When you walk these hillsides, the first thing to bloom in the spring is the almond tree. You can look around and you don't see much much blooming, but then you look at the almond blossom. And the almond blossom is the one in the garden that announces life is just around the corner. There's so much about the almond tree that we'll unpack in the weeks ahead. But this is the one that 
basically blows its trumpet saying, hang on. Death does not win. Life is coming. These, these, these beautiful areas are, are, are plowed with what is called the scratch plow. That's the ancient tool. It's, this is a poor picture, but it's basically a stick with an iron point on it that you have to put your hand on as the animal is pulling it so that you can make furrows. They're not perfect furrows, by the way. This is not like modern equipment that has everything computerized and creating perfect rows. The idea here is that it, it digs. But if you see, if you, if, you, if you push down on that handle too much, the tip, the tip will go too deep and reach over and snap. If you, if you don't put it in deep enough, it'll just skip along the surface. Or it can flop to the right or to the left. So you, once you put your hand to the plow, you get it? You begin to do the work, you know, even in Egypt, they're used to this. Think about the verse that Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. So many times we use that verse to say, see, you need to be perfect to be God. And no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying is, be committed. Your rows are not gonna be perfect. Not with a scratch plow. You need modern equipment for that. No, understand what you're doing. Stay focused. You can't put your hand on the plow and read your cell phone like people in Idaho do when they drive. You can't do that. <laughs> and so get that picture in mind. These verses are meant to be understood in, light, in this context. And even Psalm 125, written from Jerusalem, understands these hills of Judea. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. Why is it secure? Because of the hills of Judea, you see. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. It's interesting that those words, the centimetian limestone there, uh, it breaks down one centimeter every thousand years. You, you, we're looking at rocks that Jesus looked at. The breakdown of it is so slow. The picture for these people who are hearing these words are yet, yeah, okay, it endures forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. If I could show you on a map, you can see Jerusalem sitting here and those, those Judean hillsides south, east, and west just surround it with a series of, of north and south running ridges that nobody could attack from either side. It's a picture of God's arms around those he loves. He protects us. The psalmist used that topography to explain the passage. So we, we come to these terrace gardens of the Judean hills and, and, we, and we pause here because it's important that we understand that some scriptures are written in a context that when you lift them out of that context, you might miss what is truly being said. These walls are not easy to keep. There's repair that needs to happen. There's soil erosion. You need to get, take care of that. There are pests. And the water is only from the rain. You got to prune. You got to cut. You got to plow. You, you're going to have diseases. You got constant care. You have to participate. But you can't make it rain. Only God makes it rain. This is a land where God's not saying, you don't have to do anything. 
But he is saying, work hard, and I will bless that. But the whole thing he's saying here is not, I'm going to bless your work. I'm going to bless your obedience. Don't trust in any other God. Don't ask any other God to bring rain. I alone bring the rain. Trust in me. I'm alone. So these hills are the place that both Isaiah was thinking about in Isaiah chapter 5 and Jesus was thinking about when he wrote, when he wrote the words, when he said the words of John 15. Let's take a look at both of them, but if you could, just get this picture in your mind, those terraced uh, gardens coming down from here. And, and picture this as we describe, what, as Isaiah describes this picture to them. This is what they would have thought of as they heard these words. And Isaiah is speaking to a people now that have strayed from God. Okay? So here we go. Isaiah, a song about the Lord's vineyard. Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. You just saw him. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. Now, you people of Jerusalem and who? Judah. You judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? You think about how hard a farmer works there. God's asking, what more could I have done? I did the work. I plowed the ground. I pulled the weeds. I pruned the branches. I have done everything I could do, and yet you turned against me. Now let me tell you what I will do in my vineyard. I'm going to tear down its hedges. I'm going to let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. I'll command the clouds to drop no rain on it. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of God, God of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. These are the words of Isaiah speaking to a people that were a hard scrabble people who had, who had done the work of the vineyard in the vineyard, but they had sold their souls to the devil. And God is saying, You're just like that garden, but you're my garden. And I did everything I could for you, expecting sweet grapes in what I got was bitterness. Wow. They had this picture in their mind as they contemplated that warning. By the way, the thorns mentioned. There's a thing called the, uh, the spiny broom or the prickly burnet. It grows throughout the land. In fact, if you do not till the soil and you do not plant, this is what comes up. It looks pretty right now. 
But if you look real close, you'll see the spines, the thorns that come off of that. When Isaiah mentions this is what will take over, it's a direct reference back to the curse in Genesis. After man chose to sin, God said, this is what's going to happen now. After all of your effort, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to till the ground and you're going to be competing with this. What we need to understand is this is what naturally covers the hillsides in and around Jerusalem if it's not taken care of. Keep that in mind. Because as we come to John 15, that picture is going to be important. So we're here standing now in these same vineyards, the ones that Isaiah was speaking about, and Jesus uses this to tell us something better. These grapes are not yet flowering. They're not yet, uh, the, the, the leaves have not popped out. We see the almond blossom. Somebody told me today in the foyer, they're heading out Tuesday for a two-week trip to Israel. I said, you're going to see these leaves on these. Because the almond blossom's out. The almond blossom is saying that life is around the corner, and this looks dead, but it's not. Soon this will be filled with grapes, and the, the farmers in those areas try to plant, plant their, their grapevines along the, wa the walled uh, terraces. Why? Because they want to try and get those branches lifted up off the ground. If you go into the area of Jordan, and it was like that in the area of, of Israel um, at one point, um, the, the grapevine would just simply grow out of the ground and spread out all over. And the job of the farmer was to keep those, those um, vines lifted up off the ground, those branches up off the ground, and, and sometimes placing rocks under them so that they could produce fruit. Why? Because if you see those little tiny twigs that shoot off of those branches, this is what happens when you don't pick them up off the ground. They will send a shoot into the ground. And those branches will try to become their own vine. And instead of putting their energy in producing fruit, they will put all of their energy into becoming self-sufficient. Keep that picture in mind as we look at the words of Jesus in John 15, written to be understood in this context. I am the true grape vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Stop, whoa, what in the world? This is the verse that more people have been scared by over the years than any other verse. Oh no, if I don't see fruit in my life, he's just going to cut me off. What does that mean, to be cut off? Does it mean what we think it means? My hunch is we probably don't understand what it means until we understand what's really in the original language. We're going to come back to it. So hang on, don't give up. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. What, is he, what do you do when you're pruning? You're cutting off all those, those ones that aren't growing, right? So that all the energy can go to fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful 
unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. That's the second time he says it. When you see, two, you see something that is reiterated twice, it is meant for emphasis. Don't forget, you're not the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branch. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great joy to my Father. Jesus is saying something different than Isaiah is saying. He's saying this. Isaiah talked about you being the vine and the branch but producing bitter fruit. Let me, let me do you a favor here, guys. I'll be the vine. You just be the branch. You just stay attached to me and you don't need to worry. I'm not asking you to, to become a vine. I'm not asking you to, to, to set out on your own. I'm not asking you to, to produce fruit out of your own strength. I'm not asking you to be uh, self-righteous. I'll be that for you. Just stay attached to me. Stay connected to me. You're saying, well, that's all beautiful and all, but, but well, what about that cutting off thing? That really gets to me. That, that's a, I'm glad you asked. Um, to cut off in the original language means to lift up. In other words, to, to, to pull it away, a branch away that is trying to take root. Because when it tries to take root, it's trying to become a vine itself. And Jesus said, I'm the vine. You be a branch. So literally, when a farmer sees a branch starting to send its, 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 those little branches into the ground, he cuts it off and pulls it up. And he puts a rock under it. So that it can just focus on being a branch. But isn't it interesting in life we can tend to want to be God. And think, about the, think about the garden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve. He said, he said well, I know God told you not to eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he's holding out on you. He knows that if you do, you'll actually be like him. And so the greatest temptation to them is the same temptation we face today, and that is this. I want to be God. I don't want him to be in God. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to be the master of my destiny. I want to be in control. I want to fix things. I want to make things happen. I want to make it rain. And though I may have started off as a branch, I've quickly put my branches into the ground to try and become my own vine. And whenever that happens, I don't spend my energy producing fruit. I spend my energy becoming God. And Jesus said, my father's a gardener. And because he loves you, he will cut off that tendency and place you on a rock. And, and, and as, he, as you grow, as you produce fruit, he's going to prune you. And haven't we all experienced pruning? He's going to shape you because he knows that as you remain in me and I remain in you, you will produce fruit and fruit that lasts if you go on to read that passage. What does that mean, lasting fruit? It literally means fruit that will have an eternal effect. 
In other words, the fruit of my life as I remain in Jesus, not, not becoming God myself, not becoming the vine, but staying as a branch attached to him as, as his life is flowing into me and out of me and the fruit that is coming from my life, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will partake of that fruit and find eternal life through my life. In other words, the product of my life in Christ then becomes those who find Jesus. That's fruit that lasts. And the same thing of you, as you remain attached. The fruit that produces as a result of being attached is fruit that others will eat and find life, eternal life. And Jesus says, don't try and be a vine. I got this. Be a branch. Just stay connected. I'll do the rest. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news. And you notice that Jesus talks too about the thorns. Those thorns. I took another picture of that same plant just down a little bit further that wasn't flowering as much yet. So the growth from last year is still there. But the new growth is coming out. Now you can see those thorns better. Remember, this stuff is what naturally grows there unless you pull it out and plant something in its place. So these bushes would have been in these hillsides up and around and in and around Jerusalem. When those soldiers went to crucify Jesus, they weren't creative they didn't go out looking for a particular kind of throne. They probably reached down and grabbed what they all knew would be painful. And they picked it right off the ground. And they shaped a, cr a crown and they crammed it down on Jesus' skull. And that and the beatings and the crucifixion combined was Jesus allowing himself to die so we wouldn't have to. Hmm. You see, Isaiah, when he talks about tilling the soil, when we're tempted to think that it's self-righteousness that gets us to heaven, you've heard the phrase, there are no self-made people in heaven. There are no self-righteous people in heaven either. Because the righteousness we have is put upon us by Christ. Because we stand by his strength and through his blood. Here's the deal. It's not by the sweat of my brow that I'm saved. I'm not saved by my hard work. You're not saved by your efforts. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who are nearing the end of their lives. And I ask them, are you ready to, are you ready to die? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, I, I don't know, but I hope that the good things I've done will outweigh the bad. Now, let me tell you right now, I don't like scales of any type, but I definitely don't want to be weighed on that scale hoping somehow that I have been good enough to outweigh all of that in my life 
that has been apart from God. Because you see, that's self-made righteousness. No. We don't earn heaven. We never have been able to and we never will be able to. Jesus has earned heaven for us. We just have to stay attached to him. So Isaiah reminds us and Jesus reminds us, it's not by the sweat of my brow that I'm saved. It's by the crown on his. And let those thorns remind you as it did me this week as I walked down that path, it is by his blood we are saved. So these passages are meant to be understood in these Judean hills, surrounding Jerusalem like the arms of God that surround those he loves. Here, in this place where a hard scrabble people live who work the land but trust God for the rain. I was reminded walking with Jesus is not easy but it's not my efforts that save me. It's his effort that saves us. I participate in the Holy Spirit's work in my life and the transforming that's taking place. but I'm saved and you're saved by his grace, period. The difference the Judean hillside teaches us in these passages, Isaiah tells us that the hard work God has done didn't amount to anything because of their disobedience. But Jesus relieves us by saying he's going to go ahead and be the vine. All we have to do is be the branch. Let him be our source. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's his sacrifice that saves us. So like those mountains surrounding Jerusalem, we have learned that the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. I hope you know that today. I hope that you can receive the truth of God's word today. That his arms surround you out of love. I hope that if anything needs to be corrected in your view of God today, that you will let the truth of his word correct that. His arms surround you out of love. Because he loves you. And I hope that you can receive the truth of what Jesus is saying. He's the vine. The Father is the gardener. Just be a branch. Just stay connected. Yeah, there'll be pruning. You can trust him. He's a good gardener. There will be times your tendency and my tendency will be to try and be God on our own, to live in our own strength, and he's going to cut that off and put it on a rock. It's going to hurt. But the end result is much better. He knows what he's doing. Just stay connected to the vine. That's what this hillside teaches us. He loves you. He loves me. And he wants his life to flow through us. 
So I got to say, I've never really wanted to go to Israel. And now that I've been at this church for a year, I really want to go to Israel. And so I'm super excited to hear kind of what you guys had to say. So the hillside, he was mentioning this idea, this hillside in the Judean wilderness and kind of the lush beauty that you guys got to see and how this really was a beautiful land. And this was kind of a rare time. A lot of times our trips have gone at a different part of the year and it wasn't this pretty. It was more dry. So kind of tell us just what that kind of flesh out what that hillside was. It was beyond gorgeous. And for me, the contrast that we had from even the day before. So the day before we were in the wilderness of Zin and the wilderness of Paran, which is where Moses and the Israelites stayed. And so there was, there's like beyond nothingness there, just dirt and hills and nothing. So to go from that to seeing this promised country, to seeing this land that, that Joshua was able to see, it was so vast and so different. You can't help but be like, oh my gosh, they got to go there. Like you can, you can feel their excitement at, at being able to go into this land that God had given them. There was just green everywhere. There were flowers everywhere. The trees were blooming. The hillside itself, it was very, very steep and you would be on this path and you didn't want to take a step to the left too far or you would not be on the path anymore. You'd be going down the mountain. But you could just see God's hand everywhere in the flowers and the trees in the hillside itself and what man had done to be able to create these garden areas to be able to grow things, the work that was involved, I was in shock over, over how strong they must have had to have been and how determined they must have had to have been to create these gardens to be able to provide food and, and the difference in their mind, okay, God, now I have to trust you to bring the water. I'm not going to be able to irrigate it in. I'm not going to be able to depend on an outside source. I know that you're going to be the one that has to bring the rain to water this, this garden area that I've worked my butt off to be able to create. It has to be dependent on you, God. The faith is amazing. So one of the things that was really interesting was that it is on a, it was on like a mountainside. And yes. how when we look at a map of Israel, Ryan, so often it's kind of this flat just map. But you guys got to see things in 3D in one way, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, just how things came to life for you guys. But also, I mean, this is not a flat land. You look at, right. you know, the cartography of it, and you see the differences in elevation, mm-hmm. and you talk about Joshua. One of the reasons they took Jericho is because it's had this huge valley, right? And once you start to realize this, it's like, oh, wow, this isn't... So talk to me a little bit about, you know, I know you, you know, he's running all the time. If you don't know Ryan, <laughs> he runs all the time. And uh, so you probably enjoyed that, but... I mean, this was not easy ground to cover. These are pretty steep places. Oh, totally. We, um, yeah, we talked with with both Jack and Jim about yeah the people who lived in the Judean countryside were they were rough people. Mm-hmm. Um, not not only because um, well, one they lived out in the wilderness and in the countryside, <laughs> but they like the Judean hillside and the countryside is so so steep. And, and everything's up and down, and, and it'd be tough terrain to move through. Um, but I actually, I got to run in Jerusalem a few times. Um, and so I experienced firsthand of like, man, there are hills everywhere. Like out here in Nampa, everything is so flat. Um, and, and kind of all throughout the land, I mean, there are, there are, there are hills, there are mountain ridges. Um, and it, it is a very, very hilly country. It's beautiful. Well, I grew up in Nebraska, so Nampa's not that flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Real flat land, man. No, so talk to me about, you know, I just kind of talked about how the Holy Land can cause things to come out in 3D. We start to see these are more than just stories, right? These are things that happen. There's context and history. So kind of give me an example of maybe one that struck you or some Bible stories that went through your mind and really were kind of shifted in your understanding. 
I have a cool story. I'm going to start. So when we were at um, the Wilderness of Zen, we had a chance to go kind of above and look down into this canyon. And while we were there, we had some time to be kind of on our own and just experience it and kind of talk to God on our own. And I was walking around, and there, there were a lot of people there because it's a national park. And as I was walking, this gentleman came up to me. And I thought it was a little weird, honestly, because usually men don't come and talk to women at all in that country. So I was like, oh, all right, this is pretty cool. And he came and talked to me and he asked me what my name was and how I was doing and where I was from. And so I told him and um, he asked me, he's like, well, why are you here in Israel right now? And I said, well, today we're learning like about where um, Moses and the, and the Israelites were at. And he's like, oh, so you're here for a history lesson. And I just paused <laughs> because I, I had never really considered it to be like that before. But I was like, yes, yes, it's, I'm here for a history lesson, exactly. But I think in my American way of looking at it, I read the Bible and I believe the Bible and I, and I read these stories and understand that they're real. But having someone from that country just, this is, this is the truth. This is the history of our country. It was really eye-opening to me. Hmm. That's really cool. Hmm. What about you, Ryan? Was there a time where a certain scripture struck you or... Yeah, and again, I mean, it was kind of like every day there was multiple moments that I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, well, one area of land that I think it really st- stuck out to me that, oh yeah, God does use geography to to communicate um, to us. And, and Jack talks a lot about how we need to learn to organize our Bibles geographically. And so when we were at Mount Carmel... Um, we were looking over at the Jezreel Valley, and, and Jack started talking about how there are all these stories in Scripture that happens in this region, in the region of the Jezreel Valley, that all come together to tell the main truth that one God is enough if your God is Yahweh. Um, and, and so, so even tonight at, at youth group, Tammy and I are going to share um, share the story. Two stories: one that happened on Mount Gilboa, which is Gideon and God um, disadvantaging um, the Israelite army to show that one God is enough, and and that happens right in the region of the the Je- Jezreel Valley. Mm-hmm. And then the next story um, happens on Mount Carmel, um, and that overlooks the Jezreel Valley also. And that's the story of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. And how God disadvantages um, seemingly uh, Himself and His side um, to 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 really show that that one God is enough, and that was that really helped me see how um, how understanding the geography better can help us um, help us read Scripture better and understand what the authors are communicating. Mm, what a great point! I think we're at a really cool point in studying the Bible where we have more understanding than we ever had. We have more resources available in terms of that understanding than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I thought Jim did a really cool job in this story, really helping us understand that these people were steeped in this. This was understood. This was something that, you know, when we make a reference to something around here in Nampa, mm-hmm. like joking about how flat it is, if you're listening from somewhere else in the country, you have no idea why that's funny because there's mountains that we can see from here. Yeah. Versus if you've been to Nebraska mm-hmm. or if you've heard about Nebraska, you understand <laughs> there's not so much mountains there. We miss that because mm-hmm. we don't understand that without study. Yeah. But when we do, it really adds so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. And you guys added a lot to the podcast. So thank you guys for joining us. And if you're listening today, thank you for joining us. And uh, 
listening to the message and help having us uh, weigh in and hear from some people that got to go to the Holy Land. If you're a member of our church listening today, we take trips every year to the Holy Land. I think this next year is full, but I think they're going to add another one because they want to send more and more people. This is something we value. And so if you're interested, uh, contact our office and we'd love to, you know, get you on a trip to really see what these guys got to see and see the world in which uh, scripture happened. So thank you for joining us and have a great week. Thank you.